It's your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for final show of the week. Um, Lots of good stuff coming up today, but in the interest of full disclosure, let me say I recorded this one a little bit further ahead of time than I normally did because of some obligations Thursday night and Friday. Good ones having to do with some birthdays in the family. So does not include any topical stuff on the Twins opener Thursday because I was recording this right around the time that was getting started. So if you're like, Rand, what, did you forget the Twins had their home opener? I'm sorry, their opener on Thursday against the Royals? I did not forget. Normally I would talk about that on a Friday podcast, but not in this case. And guess what? I will have 161 more to talk about the rest of this year. Um, good stuff coming up the rest of the show, though. Claire DeLune. Um, longtime Minneapolis musician now based out in Los Angeles. She's also an NBA writer for The Guardian. Will join me. She follows the Lakers very closely, helps me set up just the rest of the season, that big game between the Wolves and Lakers on Friday, and uh, some, just some good NBA talk with Claire. I'll play that in just a minute or two here. Going to start that one a little sooner than I would normally do because I enjoyed that conversation so much. But some playoff stuff towards the end of the show as well, just some updated look at where local teams stand. But if I have just one baseball thought, again, like I said, I don't have Twins-specific stuff right here, but I just want to say off the jump that I am more excited for this Major League Baseball season than I've been for a great long time, and it has 100% to do with the rules changes in the game. Um, I feel like the the pitch clock, the, the things that they're doing to speed up the game, but more more importantly, take the dead space out of the game. That kind, of, that kind of stuff was driving me crazy over the years. It was harder and harder to go to a game. It was harder and harder to watch a game on TV. It was certainly harder to think about bringing family, kids to a game when it drags on, when you're probably not going to end in fewer than three hours. I'm way more likely this year to attend a game in person than I would have been just a year ago. So right off the jump, kudos to Major League Baseball for making those changes. And again, we'll see how much of an impact it has during the regular season, but it had a huge impact in the minor leagues last year, shaving you know, 20, 25 minutes off of game times. It had a huge impact during spring training this year, doing the same to spring training games. I think it'll have a similar impact in the regular season. I think as long as the players continue to abide by it, adjust to the rules, I think everything will be just fine. So looking forward to this baseball season more than I have been. What a great time to be a sports fan with everything going on and just really looking forward to everything baseball has to offer this year because that's my first love. That is the sport I, I grew up playing. That's the sport I grew up watching. I think you guys know, longtime Atlanta Braves fan growing up, video, you know, videotaped all of the games of terrible Braves teams just because that was how much I loved baseball back in the day. My interest in baseball, <clears throat> like I said, has waned over the years. It is trying to win me back this season, and I will give it my fullest attention and see how much of a difference this makes. And I think it will make a significant difference because I can feel it already in my enthusiasm for this season. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, I'm really happy to have musician and NBA writer for The Guardian, um, Claire DeLune, on with me today. She's been on 
once before daily delivery uh, historians might know. Now she was on a couple of years ago, <laughs> um, one of the earlier parts of the podcast, but I always appreciate Claire's perspectives on the NBA and particularly on the Lakers. So when I had this Wolves Lakers game Friday circled on my calendar, I thought who better to have on right now than, uh, than Claire out in California yeah. right now, Claire, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is like the quite the the middle of the intersection of my wheelhouse between Wolves and Lakers. It is. My, my two hometown teams. Right, because you are from, are you from Minnesota originally? Um, I'm originally, originally from New York, but okay. I lived in Minnesota for like a decade uh, in Minneapolis. So I, and, and I got into the NBA while, during that time while I was living in Minnesota. So the Timberwolves are sort of like the, my first intro into like going to games and you know like following the a team and it was during like around the jimmy butler time so mm. an exciting <laughs> and tumultuous time for tumultuous. the wolves for sure but um but yeah so and i love i love minnesota so it still feels like home in a lot of ways my mom lives there um still so um so yeah let's talk about the lakers now i was i think i saw a clip of it was Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett kind of talking. I don't know if I think it was a podcast. I think it was KG's podcast. I saw mm-hmm. a social clip. Them talking about trying to talk through like the most disappointing teams in the NBA this year, and they were they were trying to be nice. But I think KG finally settled on Lakers, and what? I, I wouldn't disappoint. Really? How not? Yes. You find them disappointing? The Lakers massively disappointing, don't you? I feel like their expectations were in hell. I mean, they entered the season. With the with Russell Westbrook's contract, he's still on the roster. I I mean, I think there was a lot of hopes that they were gonna make big changes in the offseason. But once they didn't move Russ, I feel like their ceiling their ceiling without a big trade was the play in tournament. Like it was not that that construction of that roster was never going to be successful. I think that was abundantly apparent. I was like I mean, I, I've always hated that move. I hated that signing and that trade. Um, when it happened, I would say like two months into the trade happening or like into the season, I was already just like have him come off the bench. Other Lakers, I would go on Laker podcast and be like, they should have him come off the bench. They're like you're crazy. That would never happen. Russell Westbrook, first ballot MVP, he would or first ballot Hall of Fame MVP. He would never come off the bench. I was like immediately like I watched this happen and I was just like, this is a disaster of enormous proportions. There is no way out of the situation besides to either bench him, send him home or trade him. And that's how I felt literally two months into this experiment. And now we're on, we were on year two. So when the Lakers didn't trade him in the off season, I was like, they're like, there's not, nothing good is going to come of this roster. He ate up $47 million worth of salary which meant that not only did you have to deal with Russell Westbrook and his poor production, but you had no money to pay anyone else. So it was like LeBron, AD, both of whom have battled injuries, as you know, the last few years. Right. Russell Westbrook, who had the, had just was coming off the worst offensive season by a player in NBA history. And then a bunch of minimum guys and people on vet minimums, rookies, people who are signed from the G League. Right. Etc. It's like that is not that does not a championship roster make like this is not they're not contenders. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I would say it was painful. Their season was painful to watch until the trade deadline. But was it disappointing? Like my expectations were super low for this team. 
Well, do we overvalue year 20 LeBron then? Because I feel like for a long time, it was anytime you've got LeBron, you've got a chance. And maybe he's, you know, still a, a very good player, but maybe not the guy who can just automatically carry you to 45, 50 wins anymore then. I mean, I think the story with LeBron and with Anthony Davis to some degree is he is still that guy for stretches of time. The problem is you want those stretches of time to be able to be timed out to occur when it matters, like leading into the playoffs, in the playoffs. You don't want LeBron to have to turn it on and be a 40 point a night guy in January to make sure that you don't fall out of the race for the play in and fall 15 games below 500. And the problem with the Lakers were that the way that the roster was constructed before the Westbrook trade, they needed the absolute best version of either AD, LeBron, or both any given night just to sneak out a single-digit win. And that is a recipe for disaster because even though LeBron is Iron Man in a lot of ways, he is you know pushing 40 and bodies just can't really handle that level of a workload for 82 game seasons. And that's and I think personally, like, you know, I, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that it was mismanagement of LeBron and Anthony Davis's health and bodies to not put the proper supporting cast around them, because I think the injuries were inevitable to them with the workload that they were carrying and the fact that they were basically single handedly carrying the Lakers offense. Um, and so I do think LeBron is still his ceiling, I think, is still among the highest ceilings of any player in the league. I would put him on a, on a good night. I would put him like top five still, but he can't sustain that for 82 games, nor should he be expected to on a team that's properly managed and run. And I think staff. that's fair. And then obviously they make a huge, you know, shake up at the deadline and suddenly become wolves West to start, you know, they had Pat Bev at the start <laughs> yeah. of the year, but then he's gone, but then they reacquire, D'Angelo Russell. We had a semantic debate about whether he's a former Wolf <laughs> or former Laker before it's we both. started recording. But he's both. Schrodinger's D'Angelo Russell. What's that? I said Schrodinger's D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> he is both a former Wolf and a former Laker. <laughs> yes, he is. And then, of course, you know, Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt. And, you know, following a, a smattering of Lakers Twitter, seems like Lakers fans are pretty happy with what happened since the deadline of ostensibly mm-hmm. getting rid of Russ, but also what these guys have brought. What have yeah. you seen since then? It seems like they've been playing better, even when LeBron was hurt, and now he's back, obviously, and playing in this game Friday. Um, it seems like they've the the depth is better now, at least. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I I do think that Rob Polinka basically worked a miracle as far as how bad Russell Westbrook's contract is, how bad he was playing, and what he was able to get back from him that contract by only moving one first round pick. Um, I think the expectation pretty much all year long was that they were going to have to move both first round picks to get rid of the contract. And even then that they might not get back something that was like a needle mover. I'm not saying that D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt are like ultimately super needle movers. Like, does this make this a championship team? Like probably not, but I do think they got a lot better. They got a lot better. They didn't have to give up a ton. Um, D'Lo's contract is also expiring. I mean, because the only you know valuable thing really about Russ's contract at this point was that it was expiring. Meanwhile, he got bought out anyway, and the Clippers ended up signing him for the minimum, which I think falls out of the narrative when people talk about, oh, look how good he's been on the Clippers. Like, you know, people poo-pooed him on the Lakers. And it's like, yeah, well, he costs 
like less than a fourth of what he right. was costing for the Lakers. And that's so it's a lot easier to stomach like a million turnovers a game when you're paying him very, <laughs> right. very little. But um, that being said, like, I do think that it was a great haul for the Lakers considering just how no one wanted that contract. And he literally, the only people who did and ultimately end up taking the contract were the Utah jazz who um, are probably going to be heading towards a tank at this point. Um, there seemed to be falling out of the plan. Yes. I mean, it could, it could change, but um, I think Vanderbilt was to me, the star of the trade. I think that was a great pickup for the Lakers. Um, I, I think I have a lot of qualms with Darvin Ham's coaching. I think he's been quite underutilized uh, thus far, but I do think he's a, an awesome player and and a great defender. They needed size. They needed defense. So that was great for them. Um, Malik Beasley ostensibly should have been a great piece at his best because he is just essentially like a guy you put out there to shoot jumpers. Yeah. And they didn't really have anyone like that. He hasn't been great of late. Um, but he has the potential and like, they just didn't have any shooters on the roster. And then D'Lo, I mean, like as much as I know Timberwolves fans have had a up and down relationship with him, like he is a, like just objective upgrade over Russell Westbrook in pretty much every way. Um, he's a, he's a better shooter. He's a better facilitator. He's younger. I mean, just like you name it, um, still cheaper, even though like probably not as cheap as you would hope. Um, so, yeah, I think overall it was kind of amazing that they got all of that and got rid of Russ for only a first round pick. Um, and I think that was really impressive. And I was the first person to criticize Rob Polinka, but I think he did a good job there. Yeah. And D'Lo, I mean, are people Lakers people aren't trying to talk themselves into a let's extend D'Lo conversation, are they? Because it's uh, it, that doesn't feel like that's the right idea. I think. I think I'm not opposed to extending D'Lo. I think it would have to be at a rate that's obviously a lot lower than his current salary. And I think from what I hear in Lakers circles, like that's sort of what they're looking at is the keeping D'Lo, giving him a new contract, but uh, at a more proportionate rate to his output. I think the contract he is on right now was like a ceiling contract. And I think we've kind of seen what his ceiling is and it's not what he's getting paid. So um, yeah, assuming that D'Lo would be on board for that, I think that the Lakers are. My thing is like from interviews and stuff I've heard with D'Lo, like I think he's still hoping to get a lot more money than the Lakers are probably going to be willing to offer him. So he's been really reluctant in interviews to like someone asked him like, oh, does the, do the Lakers feel like home? Do you feel like you're home? And he's like, well, like I haven't been here very long and I, right. I'll wait and see and find out how it goes before I call it home. Like. Uh, yeah, you're not going to like trick me into like saying I, I'm just going to take a pay cut for the culture. But um, I think it depends. It depends on his output in the playoffs. It depends on a lot of things. He hasn't really stayed healthy since he's gotten back to L.A. So um, he hasn't given them a whole lot of reason to pay him. But I I mean, I'm definitely team resign D'Lo over team go find Kyrie Irving like well, 100 yeah. times out of 100. Yeah. And, you know, it. what's interesting, and I'll get to like the Friday game in particular in a minute and a little bit of Wolves stuff, but mm-hmm. like just the nature of the West means that anything is kind of still possible, right? Like yeah. for, bo- for both of these teams, I would put the Timberwolves in the oh, firm, sure. disappointing category too, in terms yeah, of like definitely. from what people thought at the start of the year, even with the town's injury, like, you know, this felt like it was a better yeah. team than was going to transpire. And I think they're playing much better now maybe we're starting to kind of see what the vision is because it is good as maybe d is 
talent wise and as good as he's been for the Lakers, I think Conley's just a better fit for what oh, they need, especially when Towns I love that and trade Edwards for them are, as well. Especially when Towns and Edwards are healthy. But um so I think both these teams, you know, covering coming in around five hundred still question of play in playoffs or completely out at this point if you hit a if you hit a skid at mm-hmm. the end of the year but just that said like the opportunity you have in the west right now just with how jumbled it is and i don't think there's an, an elite elite team in the west like i think the suns no. are probably the favorite right now even though the fourth seed just after getting kd i think yeah. denver's good but denver's never been able to get it done when it really matters most so just the opportunity is there and just how much each of these games matter it's been fun i mean this is I, for sure, the most parody I've ever seen um, in either conference, really, uh, since I've been watching. It's absolutely insane. The six seed and the 13 seed are separated by like two and a half games, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, it's nuts. And then you really have like the Nuggets are, you know, far and away have the best record in the West. And then you have the Grizzlies and the Kings kind of like jockeying for second place, which is that's crazy to say even in and of itself. Yeah. I just uh, had a piece come out today um, in the guardian about the Kings and about like, how did they do that? But um, the rest of the West really from the four seed down almost all the way to the bottom, I would exclude maybe like the rockets and, and probably the blazers at this point from that. Yeah. And Spurs. Um, yeah. And the Spurs. Yeah. Correct. Um, those, those three, are, I think are excluded from the conversation, but really everyone from four through whatever that is 12 besides that it's yeah. like anybody any any combination of those could end up anywhere which is absolutely wild i'm someone who feels like i want to give the warriors the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise i understand that they've been atrocious on the road this year they've had some serious personnel issues like obviously starting from the draymond jordan pool oh punch yeah. all the way to like andrew riggins dealing with family stuff or whatever he's dealing with for weeks on end and um so they they're it's not smooth sailing for the Warriors, but they are the defending champs. They do have most of the same like important key members. And there is regular season fatigue. Like if anyone yeah. can turn it on in the postseason, it's it's probably these guys. And and after so many years of having such immense postseason success, I can understand why it would be hard to like get it up for a road game in Houston on a Wednesday in February. So yeah. I get that. Um, but yeah, besides them and the Suns, I mean, I'll put it this way. I don't really think a Western Conference team is going to win the championship this year. No, I think the three best teams are in the East. They're, yeah, the three best teams in the league are, are all in the Eastern Conference. So I would be shocked if a, a Western team wins it all. But as far as who can come out of the West, if you told me it was one of probably like, I would say probably five or six teams, I'd be like, yeah, I could see it. You know, you the, so. Do you consider the Lakers part of that? You said probably not before, but I mean, it, it, they kind of feel like they're in that, not maybe not quite, but kind of in that Warriors territory where it was just a few years ago they won, you know, they won the pandemic championship, they won in the bubble. Like they still got LeBron. Like anytime you get LeBron, it feels like you still have a chance. I definitely think that they have just as good of a chance as any of the other like comparable teams in the West. Yes. Like oh, I sure. would feel, I would be. I would be no less or more shocked to hear that the Grizzlies were in the finals as I would the Lakers at this point, because none of them are very strong and they all have huge flaws and also huge strengths. Um, I don't, it's really hard for me to believe 
in both the health of LeBron and AD at the same time right now. Yeah. And that's the thing that they would need to like truly be contenders is for them both to be healthy and firing on all cylinders at the same time. They haven't had that really since the bubble year yeah. uh, where they were both had a full playoffs run healthy. So um, that would be my biggest concern as far as like the supporting cast and the quality of the two best players. Yeah. I'd put them up with pretty much anyone in the West. I mean, like their supporting cast is pretty deep now. It's pretty good. And LeBron and AD are still amazing. So I wouldn't count them out. Like, I don't think they're like a laughing stock by any means. Um, and I think if they get into the play in, they'll probably get into the playoffs. Cause I just, I do like my chances with LeBron and AD in a single elimination game against pretty much anybody. But as far as like in a seven game series, that's, that's where more of like the war of attrition stuff starts coming into play. Um, And I'm just not sure based on, based on what the load they had to carry my whole point earlier, the whole year and the, and the miles on their bodies from this year. I just don't, I, the health is the big thing for me, but health is going to be a big thing for a lot of these teams. Oh yeah. I I mean, the wolves even finally just getting, relatively healthy i mean towns missed 52 games this year i don't think anybody would have imagined that no when yeah we got word of the injury initially and edwards looked like he was gonna be out a month and he was out like three games because he yeah will not <laughs> will not rest but this game friday i mean there's i, I think I, I was looking at a few days ago at the 538 nba website and they do like importance grades on all of the games were left and they're like mm-hmm. this was this had like an important score of 100 100 out of 100 because For both teams i think the game just gets that grade because it factors yeah. in like the implications for both teams and like, yeah. you know, and the wolves already have the season series one. So the tiebreaker is not at stake here, but just wins a lot. Like any small movement in the standings right now, just feels like you can go from seventh to 10th, 10th to sixth. Like you win a couple games and you are all of a sudden it just completely changes. So Friday feels massive to me. It is. It's a massive game. The funny thing is about, about the second, you know, basically all the remaining games on the schedule for all these teams is any game is important for anyone between like five and 12 in the West. And then you compound that with, if that game is against somebody else and who's also in that race, right. it, beca- like- it doubles in importance. It becomes exponentially more important because not right. only are you affecting your standings by your win loss totals, but you might be handing someone a win who's already above you or just, just below you in the standings. So it kind of compounds itself in that way. And because it's such a wide um, swath of teams that are so close, the likelihood is high that it will be that second scenario if you're a Western Conference team. So I feel like the only people who are really sitting pretty right now um, are Denver. And I mean, maybe, uh, you know, those Eastern those three Eastern Conference teams you mentioned who are going to end up one, two, three and what pick your order. Um, besides that, I think pretty much the whole NBA is like playing like their lives depend on it right now, unless they're tanking. And do you feel like that's a fun? I feel like that's kind of a function of the play in like, and I think it people is, yeah. groused about it a few years ago. I kind of liked it from the beginning and I think you're I seeing it. it. I think you're seeing it now. Like if you've got a chance to get 10th or at least there's enough teams that have that reasonable chance to get into the play. And even if that doesn't sound appealing, like once you, once you kind of think about it a little bit more, like, yeah, okay, why would we want to tank? Like, there's a clear difference between the teams that are really bad now and the teams that are at least trying to be one through 10. And then there's still the elite teams, but there's way, way fewer terrible teams now. For sure. And I think here's the thing about the plan. And I love the plan. There's 
exactly two teams or I guess four teams total who this does not benefit. And those are the teams who end up at the end of the season when the standings stop in seven and eight in each conference. Yeah. Cause those are teams who would have gone just directly to the playoffs and now have to play as basically single elimination games for their lives. Everyone else benefits Yeah, the whole rest of the league, the NBA itself, the TV partners, the fans, everyone else benefits from this because it's way more entertaining. It makes a way better product. It's going to make more money. Like, this is better for everyone. It offers more opportunities. I think it also something that is sort of like an understated part of it is that it, it accounts or sort of like helps even the balance from like when you do have somebody like towns or something who has to miss months in the regular yep. season and it docks where you're going to end up in the standings. I think it kind of benefits those teams. And because we're seeing so many more of these key injuries to key players, I think it kind of helps account for that. It's like, okay, well, if you have to, go on a losing streak for a month in the middle of the regular season, you can have a single elimination game and end up in the playoffs anyway, you know? So, um, yeah, I think it's great. And I can understand the frustrations if you're a seven or an eight seed, but besides that, like, I think it's really just a good thing that benefits everybody. A couple more thoughts is this, I mean, it kind of feels to me, and I think the Wolves still have a decent chance at top six, especially if they win Friday, but this feels to me like Friday could be, we could see a rematch of this in seven, eight, or at some iteration of this. Like this, these could be two teams that play again uh, pretty soon. Absolutely, um, I, I I could one hundred percent see, yeah, either them playing, um, ending up playing each other in the playoffs, or for sure in the play in. I think that like both of these teams are very much in danger of ending up in the play in tournament. Um, I would say even maybe likely because I just trust. I trust the Warriors to hang on to that succeed. I just think that now when it matters most, they're going to turn it on. Steph is going to like use every ounce of gas he has in the tank to avoid that play-in scenario. So, well, um, and everyone wants the Kings too. Let's be honest. Like as great a story as they are, like getting the Kings if they're the three is is a nice start. Yeah. Oh, I think everyone definitely wants them. I would. My only thing I would caution against is like we've seen we've there's been so many times that we've learned the lesson of like trying to aim for a certain mm-hmm. team is yes. a recipe for disaster and i think the the only tried and true thing to do is just to assume you're going to have to go through everyone not really care like what order that happens in and just go for it my only exception to that rule would be if i was a team in the west i would want to play the suns as early as possible because yeah. Kevin Durant is still getting back into a rhythm. And by the later rounds of the playoffs, he's going to be like, they're going to be unstoppable. They're going to have developed some chemistry. But right at the very, very, very beginning, they might, he's still coming off an ankle injury. He's yeah. still getting back to himself. They haven't had any time to get any reps together. So that would be my only like strategy thing is I'd be like, if I'm going to have to play the Suns, which I am because they have Kevin Durant. I want to play them as early as possible because I want to get it out of the way before they've like developed any sort of team chemistry. Um, Besides that, I don't think you should be like trying to get or dodging anybody because I think we've seen like, it's so unpredictable. Well, yeah, we've seen teams in the past, like, yeah, we want to play them. And then all of a sudden it it bites them. And you just, you're right. You can't try to finesse a matchup or if you do, it's going to end up, you know, the team that you thought you didn't want is the team you wanted and things like that. So it's Mm -hmm. just go play everybody, just go play everybody and see, and see how it goes. And that's what makes it fun. And they, you know, everything's going to change again a few, a few more times in the next 
five or six games. That's what that's what's been so fun. Like it's just it's been like this for like twenty five games. I feel like maybe even longer. Like yeah, every game matters so much. I know. And usually by this point in the season, it's very obvious, especially before the play in. It's very obvious who's going to make it. There's a huge usually there's like a huge gap between the teams that have given up around the all star break. Yes. And the teams that still think they have a chance. And so it's like maybe it's a question of who's going to be that eight seed and who's going to like fall off and end up in ninth. But for the most part, seeds number one through like six or seven are usually pretty set by this time. So it's awesome that like the only things we know for sure right now in, you know, end of March, early April are that the Nuggets are going to be the one seed. Yes. Pretty much everything else is a question yeah. mark at this point. Which is awesome. Um, Claire, yeah. final thing for you. Any anything you're working on, writing, music, anything that you uh, you want to tell us about? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I so I just had a piece about aforementioned Sacramento Kings is out now on The Guardian. I'm going to be writing a lot more from them as the playoffs ramp up. And I have a new album. With Tiny Deaths, my alter ego. Right. That I um am just finishing now. It's going into mixing and mastering this week. So wow. keep your eyes peeled for that. That'll probably be a single sometime late spring and uh record in the fall. Awesome. Very exciting times for you. Appreciate yeah. you taking some time today to Thank catch you. up on all things NBA. We will both be watching, I'm sure, Friday yes. night as things unfold in the rest of the year. But uh always appreciate chatting with you, Claire. Take care, all right. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Claire DeLune for joining me on the show today. You know, she's just one of those people I follow on Twitter and who is just genuinely smart about basketball. I think I started following her like several years ago when I saw her perform. Um, like I said, she's also a musician. She mentioned she has a new uh, new single coming out with her band Tiny Deaths, her alter ego. And I saw Tiny Deaths, it was like maybe six or seven years ago, and was really impressed. Started following her on Twitter and came to understand she's a huge basketball fan because kept following her on Twitter. And she had, a lot of people think they're smart about the NBA, but she is truly smart about the NBA. Has very reasoned, well thought out takes. So I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Hope you had enjoyed the perspective of the Lakers, where they're coming from this season, and uh, and that kind of thing. So again, glad to have her on again. It's been a couple of years since we had a chance to chat, but really good to uh, to get that perspective, especially heading into that big game Friday. Which brings me to the cooler, kind of an extended cooler today. But I wrote on Thursday about kind of all six of the major pro sports teams in this market and kind of where they stand in kind of the playoff push right now. We'll start with the Wolves because. That is what we just talked about with Claire. Basketball reference giving them a 75% chance to make the playoffs right now, including a 40% chance of flat-out finishing in the top six in the conference. And that's of as of Thursday afternoon. Like, like Claire and I talked about, everything is subject to change. That could be slightly tweaked by the time you're listening to this Friday because you know teams play, things get shifted around, things like that. But it's going to fluctuate as the year goes on, I'm sure, throughout these final five Wolves games. But right now, in so much better shape than they were even at the start of this West Coast road trip where you thought one win was possible, zero wins was possible, 2 on one you would have taken that in a heartbeat, and that's what they got with those back-to-back wins over the Warriors and the Kings. So Wolves in pretty good postseason position right now. I mean, I, I don't know what that gets them in the first round, but if they can get up to that six seed, get a, get a matchup against the Kings, who they've been quite good against this season, I wouldn't put it past them to at the very least be competitive in a first round series and maybe even be able to advance to round two. Now the wild by virtue of winning, gaining at least one point in 20 of their last 21 games. Do you realize that 20 of their last 21 games, 16, one and four, they're now in first place in the central best chance of winning the central um, per hockey reference. Given just the sixth best chance right now, though, 4.1%. This is hockey reference among Western conference teams of winning 
the Stanley Cup. And I think that's a function. If you look at you know what, what determines Stanley Cup odds, a lot of that has to do with goal differential, winning a lot of close games. We saw that with the Vikings this year too, right? Vikings were 13-4, and four, but they'd won a lot of close games. People were not giving them the sort the sort of kind of respect that maybe a lot of teams of their record had, and they got they got beaten the first round. So I'm not saying that's going to happen to the Wild. What I am saying is, even though their playoff prospects look great right now, they're they're almost a cinch to make it into the postseason and have a have a good chance of being the division winner and very least being in the top two in the division and and, and hosting at least a first round series. Um, winning a cup, still a battle for them because I don't think they've shown at least over the long haul of the entire season that they're uh, that they're maybe as good as some of these other teams. But we'll see. I think they're a very good team. I think they've got a chance, and they've certainly improved their lot over the last couple of weeks and months here. Twins, baseball perspective, giving them a 67% chance of reaching the postseason um, going into the season. And get this, they have a 4.5% chance of winning the World Series. Better odds than the Wild. I would guarantee you there's not a single Minnesota sports fan who would consider that to be reality at this point, but that is what the numbers say at the very least. Vikings, there was an over-unders came out per DraftKings the other day. 8.5 is their win total over-under right now. Again, a lot of free agency to play out. A lot of, they got the draft, obviously, still. Next wave of free agency. We'll see if that number changes before the year starts, but... Kind of the expectation that in a 17-game schedule, they're going to slide back into that kind of squishy, soft, middle, you know, maybe barely over 500, things like that, at least according to the betting odds. So interesting to watch that one as time goes on. Lynx and Loons, pretty similar championship odds released last month. Lynx 35-1, to Loons 32-1. to Lynx, though, still have the number one, number two pick in the draft coming up April 10th, and the Loons have won their. I'm sorry, they've gotten a they've gotten a win or a draw in their first four games in MLS this season. So maybe, just maybe, there is hope for those two teams as well. Loons, by the way, have made the postseason in each of the last four years. Can Adrian Heath make it five in a row? We will see. That'll do it for me today. Like I said, plenty of good stuff coming up next week. Patrick Royce, and I'm sure he and I will talk about plenty of twin stuff on Monday uh, to, to, you know, off of this first series against the Royals. Home opener coming up a week from Thursday against the Astros. Royce, a lot more pessimistic than uh, Lavelle E. Neal and even Chip was, so I'll, I'll love to get his take on this first series against Kansas City and what is coming up next. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Enjoy the weekend. Back at it again on Monday.